When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show is brought to you by the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Check out more great comedy podcasts at foreverdogpodcasts.com. And now, Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show, live at the Chicago Podcast Festival, starring Kevin McDonald and featuring special guest Bob Saget and musical guest Fruit Bats. Enjoy! Gentlemen, are you excited and ready for Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show? Are, are you excited? I know I am. Well, not super excited, but excited. Well, not excited, but I'm here, aren't I? We're going to have a great show, and I'm just so happy to be here working with Kevin McDonald. Well, not happy, but I don't feel horrible about it. I've never actually heard of Kevin McDonald, but I am looking forward to seeing him work. Well, not looking forward, but the thought of it doesn't make me sick. Not too sick. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Are you ready for Kevin McDonald? <laughs> right, right. Kevin McDonald, never heard of him, but I'm very excited. Not very excited, but I'm not contemplating suicide. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm round of applause for my favorite comedian, though I've never heard of him. Mr. Kevin McDonald! <laughs> right! Right! Kevin McDonald! Thank you! Thank you very much! Thank you! Thank you! I'm Kevin McDonald! Thank you very much! Thank you! And everyone, please give a warm round of applause for my announcer who's never heard of me! Never! It's very exciting. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and before we start, I want to acknowledge that this announcer isn't our usual announcer. Um, he is my regular announcer's nephew and filling in for him uh, right here tonight. Yes, Kevin. And thank you for inviting me. Uncle Announcer told me everything I should know about my job. Excellent. Uh, so you understand everything that you're supposed to do? Yes. It's to get across to the people listening to the podcast Everything you are doing that they can't see. Yes, exactly. Excellent. Well, I think we're ready to start the show. Kevin takes the mic out of the stand. <laughs> Kevin walks to the front of the stage. Kevin stops at the front of the stage. Kevin strokes his neck in what appears to be a nervous gesture. <laughs> Kevin stares at me in an irritated manner. Um... You don't have to say. You don't have to say every little thing I'm doing. 
Kevin says, um, um, uh, you don't have to say every little thing I'm doing. You don't have to say that. Kevin says, you don't have to say that. Stop it. Kevin says, stop it. No, really. I'm just adding color. That's okay, there's enough color. Kevin says, that's okay, there's enough stop color. It. Kevin says, stop it. No, really, stop it. No, really, stop it. No, really, stop it. Stop it. No, really, stop it. 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 My announcer who doesn't know me. Thank you very much. Kevin gives me an angry look. A glaring, ugly look. A look that says he wants to hit me, but he is ultimately too cowardly to do that. There's also something else in his eyes. Something softer. Something that almost seems like a very strong passion for me. Yes, there is definitely a lust in his eyes that is directed straight at me. He is giving me a look under the pretense of anger, but he is obviously imagining what I look like naked. And the answer to that, of course, is quite good. I've recently acquired a rowing machine. So now, ignoring the sexual tension between us that is almost palpable, I will say, ladies and gentlemen, Kevin McDonald! Thank you. He will introduce me 17 more times. Uh, thank you, announcer nephew, and thank you for coming tonight. Uh, I know you're here to see me, but I also know it's partly because I'm a kid in the hall. Um, I, I know that I am, I am a kid in the hall. Well, I'm sort of a kid in the hall. I actually have just been on their farm team for 35 years. Uh, but the kids in the hall say, uh, just a couple more good shows and they're going to bring me up. So I'm very happy about that. Uh, yes, the kids in the hall are obviously uh, very important to me. And um, uh, tonight, the first half of the show is dedicated to and about them. And after tonight, I will never talk about those pricks again. I promise. <laughs> For those of you who just don't know, I think I will explain my old show. We were the kids in the hall. Just in case you don't know the name, I better just explain the kids in the hall. We never really got bigger than cult. Dave Foley says it's Scott Thompson's fault. For being a comic, sexual prophet, a gay Shea Guevara, or Cher Guevara. I knew Dave and then Scott and Mark. When Bruce came, things got a little dark. We hear the kids in the hall. Don't tell them it's a podcast. We played at a club called the Rivoli. Lorne Michaels discovered us, but didn't like three of the kids in the hall. Bruce and Mark were hired to write for SNL live on Saturday night. The Anthony Michael Hall year speaks for itself. But they soon were fired, the five of us hired, to do a moderately successful sketch show. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, let's go back to 1990, our TV shows 
very first year had a Nielsen rating of about half of a half of a half of a half of a share. Somehow we lasted five long seasons. Guess head crusher came in handy. Then we made our 88-minute epic brain candy. Cost eight million, grossed three million, lost five million dollars. Thought I had to get old job back, middle-aged movie usher. So go online and check my show out. We're the show that your grandpa's told you about. Aging kids in the hall. We're not quitting. We're not quitting. We're not quitting till one of us dies, probably Dave. Holy Dave. He won't listen to this, I swear. Thank you. Thank you for applauding me, dismissing a friend. Eric D. Johnson of the Fruit Bats, he's coming back later. And the announcer who doesn't know me. Hello. Yes, uh, kids in the hall, kids in the hall. Um, I know that the very, very few people who like the kids in the hall love the kids in the hall. Um, it's not many of you, but there's a strong love. Uh, but here's the truth. This is the truth. The Monty, uh, Monty Python, uh, they were the Beatles of sketch comedy. Um, the kids in the hall were the Duran Duran. <laughs> you know, a few good songs. Buy their greatest hits album. Uh, don't get, don't get the each album. That's crazy. <laughs> the first kid in the hall I met, uh, you ask, I will let you know, um, that was Dave Foley. I had been taking Second City classes for a year um, when we started. Uh, and at the beginning of his very first class, we, were, we didn't know each other. We were just paired up uh, to do the mirror exercise. You know, when the uh, two uh, actors uh, mirror each other. There are two actors on stage acting out the parts of a young Kevin and young Dave doing the mirror exercise. For some reason, the actor playing young Kevin is much better looking than young Dave. That's crazy. It makes no sense. Now, Dave and I didn't know each other, uh, but it was like we had instant chemistry, and we started doing weird stuff like this. The two actors playing Dave and Kevin do weird stuff like this. Uh, by the end of the exercise, we had uh, devolved into the fetal position, and we crawled out the building, um, uh, out on the sidewalk, <laughs> like that. And we didn't know each other. I, I sort of got, and uh, we were on the sidewalk, and through the window, we saw our teacher, Alan, going like this. What the fuck are you doing? Get the fuck inside! You're on the fucking sidewalk like a caterpillar! True story. Uh, now, near the end of the class, 
Uh, Dave did an improv where he was Dave Foley, brilliant and hilarious. I did an improv, and I was sort of funny in mine, so Dave saw me be funny. Um, uh, the class is over. I go over to him, and without knowing his name, uh, I asked him to join my comedy troupe. I didn't have a comedy troupe. Um, uh, without knowing my name, he said yes, um, and that's how Dave and I started a comedy troupe. We learned each other's names about three years later. <laughs> now, Dave and I and a few other people uh, in our comedy troupe, we started performing in a thing called theater sports. This is in Chicago. Do you know theater sports? This is Chicago? I thought it was Chicago. All right. <laughs> Um, theater sports is like an improv ga uh, game show where two improv teams play uh, against and challenge each other to improv games. Yay, theater! Yay, sports! Okay, so it's, you know theater, all right, it is Chicago. Um, our favorite game was to challenge the other team uh, to uh, what we called best scene until Kevin gets an asthma attack. Uh, <laughs> true story. Um, uh, I would run around, the, Dave and the others would start a scene. And um, I would run around the theater, and it was a very, very, very big theater. And then um, as soon as I started wheezing, <gasps> uh, Dave and the others had to uh, end the scene. And then I had to run around the theater uh, for the other team. Uh, but the joke was I was already wheezing, and they had to end their scene. <laughs> Yay, sports! <laughs> Yay, asthma! So uh, uh, soon it was just Dave and I, and we heard about this great comedy troupe from Calgary, Calgary, Alberta, up in Canada. Uh, they were called The Audience, and they were the biggest thing in Calgary, but it was Calgary. <laughs> so they moved to Toronto. Uh, Mark McKinney and Bruce McCullough were in the troupe. We soon joined forces and became a, a four-person version of the kids in the hall. Now, it did not take long to figure out that the best writer of the group was Bruce McCullough. He came up with ideas like uh, Dr. Seuss' Bible, uh, or farmers and heroin. Um, it also didn't take long to figure out that Bruce was a quote-unquote, a little devil. Uh, at the end of one of our writing meetings, uh, he tossed me his coat. This is, these are all true stories. Um, yeah, it's really weird. Someone tosses you a coat. The weird part's coming. He tossed me his coat and asked me to get his keys for him. I, being Mr. Gullible, uh, dug in and came up with a handful of wires and shit. As in dog shit. I hope it was dog shit. Any other kind of shit I refuse to contemplate. To this day, he swears it was melted chocolate. I hope it was melted chocolate. It did not smell like melted chocolate. It smelled like shit. I hope it was dog shit. Bruce laughed for a half hour. We had to take him to the hospital. Here's another little devil story. I know you're going to groan and be sad, but it has a happy ending, so please have patience. Uh, but it's so true, I have to say it. Uh, Bruce and I were once at a party uh, 15 years ago, and the woman who was hosting the party was talking to us, and she seemed depressed. I can't believe I'm telling this story. Um, and Bruce said, uh, what's wrong? And she said, oh, I just recently found out that I had brain cancer. And Bruce said, stop name dropping. <laughs> but I swear to God, she laughed, and then it's been 15 years and she's still alive. So laughter heals, that's my point. That's my point, make fun of sick people. Uh, and now I was going to tell a story about Mark, but, uh, but it's too long, so I've cut it. Mark's story is the least interesting. Sorry, Mark. He won't hear the podcast. He doesn't even know what a podcast is. Uh, <laughs> now, uh, Scott Thompson. I will end uh, with Scott Thompson. Um, Scott Thompson, as Joey Ramone once said about Dee Dee Ramone, um, there is no one in the world like Scott Thompson. Scott Thompson is brilliant at being Scott Thompson. Here is my favorite Scott Thompson story. When Lauren Michaels discovered the troupe in 1985, 
he got assigned to write a pilot for a sketch show for HBO. Uh, the plan was uh, to move us to New York and um, uh, for six months where we were going to write the pilot and perform in the weekends. Um, now, HBO was going to pay for the whole thing, but this was HBO um, pre-Sopranos, uh, pre-Sex in the City, uh, way pre-Game of the Thrones. Uh, they weren't the shit yet. Uh, they only had enough money for four kids in the hall uh, to get us apartments for four kids in the hall. Now, apparently, the, there's five kids in the hall, um, so two of us had to live together. Now, Scott and I are the two weakest members of the troupe. <laughs> so after the group brawl, um, it, was, it was decided that Scott and I would be roommates. Living with Scott Thompson was a glorious adventure. <laughs> like the time we had the masturbation fire. This is 100% a true story. I came into the apartment one day and saw a raging fire in the kitchen and a naked Scott trying to put it out, a completely naked Scott trying to put it out with a small pot of water. What happened? I was masturbating. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Grow up. <laughs> Apparently, 20 minutes earlier, uh, Scott was in the kitchen fully clothed, boiling water for eggs. This, of course, made him horny. So he went to the bedroom to masturbate. It, 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 took, it took longer than he thought it would take. I, I, I guess it's hard to come when you're thinking of naked egg-shaped men. The water boiled over and we had a masturbation fire on our hands. They're the worst kind. They really are the worst. A true story. Oh, where am I? I went off book. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, That's Kevin. That's my <laughs> favorite you. Scott Thompson masturbation story. Thank you. But now it is time for a sketch. Yes. Thank you, announcer nephew. Um, and now, keeping up with the theme of this episode, uh, this sketch will be a sketch, true story, uh, that I wrote during the Kids in the Hall TV show days. Um, in fact, this is exciting, this will be a sketch that I wrote that the other Kids in the Hall didn't think was good enough for the show. And we're doing this failure tonight. With a dated failure. Dated failure. A failure that wasn't good when Kevin wrote it 24 years ago. And here's something else. It's a very visual sketch. And you're doing it on an audio podcast. So it'll be even weaker than when the kids and I all hated it 24 years ago. This sketch has no chance of succeeding. None! Shall we start the failure sketch, Mr. McDonald? Yes. And sorry. We now take you to an open space business office where everyone works in different cubicles. Several people are in their cubicles hard at work. We see Gord, played by Mr. Bob Saget. Thank you. Thank you. You sound like a Bowlingo cartoon in size. <laughs> He's sitting at his desk looking a little sick. There are a couple of other guys sitting with him, shooting the breeze. Did you see that game last night? Wow, what a game. Right down to the wire. Our guys came from behind in the last second. Major upset. Quite a victory. I didn't see it, and I'm not sure what sport they were even playing. But the way the cab driver described it. Wow, what a game. Byron, played by Kevin McDonald, who wrote this failure, enters and flops into a chair. He has bloodshot eyes and looks as bad as Gord. Oh, man, am I in hangover hell. Wild night, Byron? Known as a partier, everyone except Gord looks at Byron, waiting for the wild story. 
I think so. To tell you the truth, it's all a blur. I, I, I know I went out with Gord. Uh, but that's all I remember. What happened, Gord? Crazy stuff, huh? You and the party king get into another wild evening? Well, at the moment, I don't remember what city I'm in. Well, I do remember that we were at a bar. We were having fun, decided to have... We cut to a flashback of the night before. It is a fully packed nightclub. Four tequila shots! No, seven! Seven tequila shots! Each! Each bartender, each! The bartender plops down 14 shots in front of Gord and Byron in a series of what would have been jump cuts if the kids in the hall that actually have talent let Kevin do this sketch. <laughs> Gord and Byron down the shots. All 14. Woo! Yeah! Woo! Yeah! Woo! Yeah! They go to the dance floor and start dancing wildly to the music injuring several of the other dancers. Gord starts shaking a short, bald man. Hey, Byron, look, I'm shaking a short, bald man. Sh short, bald bastard! Woo! Yeah! We cut back to the present at the office. Hi, everybody. Tim Heidecker here with huge news. We have a terrific episode of Office Hours Live prepared for you. We had the great stand-up comedian Kyle Kinane come in and a very special in-studio music session from legendary Emdu Mokhtar. You're not going to want to miss this one. You can find it on your podcast app of choice by going to Sears or Macy's and getting an iPod and then coming home, charging it up, and listening through your app. Seven tequila shots. Each. Poor short, bald guy. And after that, I think we sat down on the couch and met up with... We flash back, back to the nightclub. Two knockout babes. Byron and Gord are sitting at a booth with two women who are also very drunk. What do you guys do? We work at a place <laughs> where we work. We work where we're a cow, a cow, Nance. Accountants, you added too many syllables. We do a counting. Uh, Far too many syllables. You guys are cute. Why, thank you. I'm very drunk, though. My vision is so blurred. Whatever it takes. <laughs> we cut back to the office. Then I think we drank. Cut to the nightclub. Seven more tequila shots. No, eight. Eight tequila shots. Eight, you tall fool, head of hair, bastard. <laughs> then we see a series of jump cuts where Gord and Byron down more tequila shots. In one of the cut twos, Gord is dancing with Fidel Castro for some reason. It is probably a drunk hallucination. We cut back to the office. And then, one of the women suggested... Cut to the nightclub. An orgy? What do you think, Gord? Philadelphia. You talked me into it, Gord. Let's do it! Byron and Gord, who are still on the dance floor, start to drunkenly take off their clothes in front of the two women. Drunken spectators watch and cheer them on. 
We jump cut to a half hour later, still at the nightclub. 20 people are lying on the floor, twisted around each other in an inept orgy. Byron is just wearing his underwear. Gord, for some drunk reason, is wearing three pairs of underwear and a sea captain's hat. We see Byron putting a woman's foot in his mouth. We cut to another woman passionately kissing Gord's elbow. We cut back to the office. And that's when things got a little crazy. We flash back to the nightclub. We get a tight shot of Byron, apparently still in the orgy. He is licking a trail of ice down someone's back until he reaches a full shot glass, lying on the back. He downs it and continues licking the back until he reaches the neck. He lifts back the person's head to reveal Gord. There is an awkward pause where Byron and Gord look at each other, stone-faced. Byron shrugs. Gord shrugs. Byron continues licking Gord down his back. We cut to a wider shot of Byron licking Gord's back with Gord shaking in stone-faced ecstasy. The two women stand up. Um, well, I, I guess we're not really needed here anymore. <laughs> the two women leave and the other patrons stand around, cheering Byron and Gord on. <laughs> we hear the sounds of several people at the bar cheering the awful orgy. Cut back to the office. And then I... Oh my God, I licked Gord's ass. Back to the nightclub. In slow motion, we see... And I understand why the kids in the hall didn't do this sketch. Byron lick Gord's ass. Everyone cheers. (laughs) Inspired by the applause, Gord lies down flat on his stomach. And Byron, yes, continues to lick Gord's ass. It says in the original script that Kevin wrote, that Byron licks Gord's ass 17 times. Because 18 is too funny. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, that's just what it says. We cut back. (laughs) And I hope for the last time we cut back. Back to the present day, in the office. Gord is in complete shock. Byron looks more ashamed than any man has ever looked. The two other guys, obviously embarrassed for Gordon Byron, work hard, pretending that nothing is wrong. Well, I... I guess it's time to start work. I don't know. Oh, my God, I licked Gord's ass. Oh, my God, he licked my ass. Oh, my God, I licked Gord's ass. Oh, my God, he licked my ass. Oh, my God, I licked Gord's ass. Oh, my God, he licked my ass. Gord and Byron keep repeating this, as they would, for the rest of the afternoon. Oh, my God, I licked Gord's ass. The other men in the office look uncomfortable and leave one by one. Fidel Castro enters. Oh, my God, I licked Gord's ass. Shakes his head in shame. Oh, my God, I licked Gord's ass. And leaves. We fade out. Oh my god, I licked Gord's ass. Oh my god, he licked my ass. Was that Fidel Castro? Yes! The sketch is over! Yay, I did it, didn't I? It didn't like super bomb. So fuck you, kids in the hall! Thank you very much. They don't listen to podcasts, they have children. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Oh my god, you licked my ass. Yes, I licked his ass in rehearsal. Um, 
Uh, thank you, and sorry, I would now like to ask my, uh, first of all, the cast, thank you very much. I'll learn your names later at the party. Thank you very much. <laughs> thank you. You may uh, leave the stage. The camaraderie's amazing. <laughs> that concludes the first half of Kevin McDonald's Kevin McDonald Show live at the Chicago Podcast Festival. Thank you for listening, and please stay tuned for the second half of the show, including Kevin's Q&A with Bob Saget and a musical performance by Fruit Bats. Kevin's show is brought to you, as always, by the Forever Dog Podcast Network. Visit us online at foreverdogpodcasts.com to discover your next comedy podcast obsession. Ding dong, Las Culturistas calling. And hello to the masses. We are Las Culturistas on the Forever Dog Podcast Network. This is Bowen Yang. And this is Matt Rogers. And if you have just been itching your skin because you're so worried about the fact that you have not found your culture comedy podcast, mama, let me tell you something this evening. Yes. It's us! It's us! We are your culture consultants. Every week we bring on one of our guests to discuss their cultural histories, Mama. What made them know culture was for them. And then we also talk about some cultural events. We've got your Oscars, your Grammys. Yeah. Sometimes stupid shit, like the American Idol finale. Maybe sometimes we'll spend 90 minutes talking about that. You fan of RuPaul and RuPaul's Drag Race and all the RuPaul, you know, ticks and tacks. Bitch, we are your center for fun. And then we end every episode with our famous segment, I Don't Think So, Honey. I Don't Think So, Honey. We get nasty at the end of the episode because let me tell you something. We sit our guests down. We think, think, think. We give all of us one minute to rail against culture and destroy something that's making us mad, making us itch our skin raw. We are itchy, itchy, itchy for you to listen to us, honey. And you can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Yes. Get all your pop culture knowledge. Get all your life. Get all the opinions.com. .net.biz.org here on Lost Culturistas Podcast on the Forever Dog Network. Hey there, listeners. This is Michael Wolf and Colin O'Brien, the hosts of Literati. Literati is a comedy podcast about the greatest American novels never written. For all those times you feel like reading but can't because you don't know how or it's just too boring. Every episode features a wonderful reading by a literary giant or at least a pretty tall contributor to like a zine or something. So join us as we ask the important questions such as, if Shakespeare was so smart, how come he's dead? Who are narrators and how'd they get in my book? And is Mark Twain funnier than Chris Kattan? Obviously Obviously not. not. So listen and subscribe to Literati on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. The end. And now I'm going to ask my wonderful guest, Bob Saget, to the table of interviewing, and we're going to have a little bit of an interview. Bob Saget! We're going to the table. We're going to the table. We're walking to the table. We're going to the table. There's a table. Your work was very good, by the way. That really actually means a lot. Thank you. <laughs> Sarcasm does read on a podcast. <laughs> what? No, you were being sincere? Yeah. I'm so confused. This is a beautiful theater. You're a stand-up comic. How does David write? Yeah, you just slide it in the hole. Oh, my God, you licked my ass. Oh, my God, I licked Bob Saget's ass. That, you're not the first person that said it, but not on a podcast. Hold on, I'm screwing your bass. Oh, my God, he's screwing my bass. <laughs> Bob and Kevin keep repeating this for the duration of the podcast. (laughs) 
Thank you. Okay, you're good. Thank you very much. Uh, Bob Saget, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Ke Kevin McDonald. The, thank you and sorry. A history. I'm a huge fan of everything you've ever done, and you uh, told us all about it for the first 12 minutes, and I'm going to listen to it over and over again. <laughs> yes, uh, later at dinner, I will tell you more about the kids in the hall. And you will tell me how you licked my ass. I will tell you. Uh, That's okay. offensive, I think. No one was offended, were they? Deeply, is, is it all more the way up the uh, cavity. Is it more offensive now in 2016 or more offensive in 1994? Well, I think in 1994, people weren't as clean as they are in 2016. So I think, uh, right. yes, I think you're better off saying it now. All right, 2016. All right, I'm going to do the sketch again. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, Bob Saget, I saw you. Um, we're almost the same age, but you were so young as a stand-up comic. I saw you when I was 19. Um, in high I didn't touch you, right? A little bit. Ah. Uh, but you were on stage, so it was okay. Uh, as a, I, I don't know what my question is. But was I know it that Yuck Yucks in Toronto? Is in that Yuck Yucks in Toronto. Do you remember Yuck Yucks in Toronto? I do. I got a real bad review in the uh, Toronto paper. and Because uh, oh, yeah. uh, I used to sing while my guitar gently weeps. Do you remember? I do remember that. I remember your guitar. So I do remember your guitar. You did have a guitar. Yeah, yes. Yeah, because prop, prop bits and mime and parodies are the worst things you can do in comedy, and I did all of them. Um, but I, did, I didn't do mime. I should have. <laughs> uh, there was a mime comic in Yuckx too, uh, Paul uh, Howard Buzzgang. <laughs> oh my God, I know him. Do you know him? Yeah, I don't, and I heard from him recently, and I'm trying to avoid that. Um, uh, no, he's I, a nice guy, actually. Howard. What was your bad I, review? Uh, the bad review just said that I was just a, a hacky comic that did uh, music parodies. I did kill because people okay. enjoyed. I was a fluffer. I was 23 years old. No, I wasn't a fluffer. It was not my day job. I didn't mean that. I meant I was w trying to fluff the audience and make them happy. And so I did a lot of, you know, stupid guitar parody songs like Don't Let Your Sun Go Down on Me by yes! Elton John. Yes, that was you that did that. Yeah, it was, I, I was, was the original. For 30 years and and it became a cultural joke. Yes. Not that someone else couldn't have thought of it because it's pretty obvious. But It's well, a, well, a parody well, of the Elton John song. Are people too young to know the Elton John song? Do you know who Elton John is? Hey, the, the, the millennials know Rolling Stones. Um, so, well, that's a joke, but not a joke, but The anyway. Beatles were a band from North of England who revolutionized the world. And the song that I did was I by George Harrison, and I would close with it, and Yuck Yucks was a relatively small club, and in a venue this size, uh, you would not have seen this bit, which was a problem, because I did large concert halls. I did it, actually, at Maple Leaf Gardens and Buffalo Memorial Auditorium oh my God. and Carnegie Hall, opening for Gino Vanelli. Gino Vanelli, the Canadian Gino Vanelli, do people know that? I just want to stop and tell you how I feel about you, babe. And he had, I think he had a sock in his pants. I'm not sure, but he had a big wiener. Very hairy chest. Yeah, 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 and a, and a, and a kind of a socky wiener. But um, <laughs> what, what happened was I played while my guitar gently weeps and turned a valve on the guitar, and then water with a garden hose poured out of the guitar all over me. That's right! All I remember over, that. We laughed our my, heads off. That's that was right. my finish. <laughs> and it, it didn't work in crowds over like 200. So <laughs> I did it opening for Max Webster in Maple Leaf Gardens for 16,000 people. And, we, and the lighting guy said, oh, it'll be backlit. They'll see it. And I, I begged the promoter, Michael Cole, to let me get off stage. And he did. After about, I did about three minutes. And then I said, can I leave? And, I, and he said, yes. Yeah. So I said, will I, will I get paid? This is over the mic in front of the audience. <laughs> 
So it was a lot of good success stories. But uh, and, so we, we didn't formally meet back then. Though. We did not meet. I was just a high school kid at the back. Uh, we laughed very much at my friend. Colin Waddell, Raw Peroni. I remember their names. And, and were you friends with any of the Hall kids at that time? No, no. I, I was still in high school. I was 19, but in uh, Toronto, you had grade 13 back then. And that's why I was a 19-year-old high school kid. I, hadn't, uh, I was in a suburb outside of Toronto. I didn't know anything. What suburb? Mississauga. You probably know everything, right? Have you I dated Mississauga. Mississauga. She was... Uh, <laughs> She wore a banner. Um, you had a cold where, that where night. Was, Do you remember having a cold in Toronto and Yuck Yucks? Uh, no, but I know whenever I get a bad review, I probably had a cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but did, did, were you friends with Harlan Williams? Because he lived in a suburb. Yes, uh, a different suburb. <laughs> Outside of Toronto, a Har- suburb. Harlan, uh, people remember Harlan Williams? He's hilarious. I yes. love him. He's a genius. I knew him years later when I was in the comedy circle. That's another great comic that was in the... A great uh, comic. He was in Dumb and Dumber. He drank the urine and made the faces. And Do you remember his David Letterman peanut butter story? Uh, no. Uh, the first time he was on David Letterman, he, was, uh, he did the, the bit, and he was, it got big laughs. Then David Letterman called him over, and d- during it, David Letterman, it seemed real. I don't think they told him about it. He said, Are, is that peanut butter in your shoes? And Harlan said, yes, I told my friends back at Yuckhacks in Toronto, if I ever made the David Letterman show, I put peanut butter in my shoes. Just an odd, obscure. Just an odd, obscure. He also did the greatest Wookiee impression ever, which would, goes, it plays purely in your adenoids. It's just a loud, <laughs> weird sound. I can't do it, so I don't know why <laughs> oh, I mentioned it. I'm waiting for it. Um, no, I know. You wait for it, and then two, two years later. <laughs> Here's my stand-up question I always wonder about. People, uh, and this is very interesting to me, though I'm a very boring man. So No, uh, you're not. I'm you a very said, boring man. No, you were saying you're, you're insecure, you're, you have no ego. I, I don't think that's possible to do what you did uh, at the start of the show and have no ego because you, you're an artist. Because <laughs> I was bombing and I kept going on. So. <laughs> no, you, were, no, you weren't bombing. They were laughing. They, they laughed really appropriately. They Thank you very much. Thank you. No, they laughed at at one-eighth of what you did, which is not bombing. It's not bombing. I believe legally one-twelfth is bombing. I think, but the the, uh, the eighth did amazing. You you crushed the eighth. There was one guy, the the eighth guy, who was uh, laughing very hard. Here's the Santa Fe I'm working on one out of five right now. I mean, I'm not doing too much. That's three better. It's pretty better. Three better? (laughs) Uh, It's pretty better. You're pretty pretty and you're better. The first time you did stand-up, this is what I'm interested in. Uh, Yeah. This is what I hear a million times before I ask how you did. A million people tell me, uh, comedians or writers say, uh, the first time I did stand-up, they always tell me they killed. And then they always tell me the second time they bombed. And then half of them say to me, that's when I realized I should work harder being a stand-up, and I did. Uh, or the other half of me say, that's when I realized I was really a writer and became a writer. Yeah, a writer or a producer that's or, interesting to me. or dry your, cleaner. Or a dry cleaner. <laughs> tell me your first two experiences. Well, I was, I was a student filmmaker, so I was 17 and I, or 16, I had made a movie called Beach Blanket Blintzes, which was on 8mm, and it's the worst thing ever made. So the silence that the title got <laughs> is better than the movie was. And it was about a 50-foot blintz that turned people into sour cream. But what, uh, I, I know the premise is fantastic. But it was really just stolen from Mel Brooks' sense of humor and just trying to be like the oh. people that I looked up to. And I did the intro uh, at an elementary school auditorium, which was fitting for where all my work will one day end up. And I want to work in elementary school and lead assemblies. All right, kids, listen the fuck up. It's me, Danny. Danny Tanner's here to say some fucking shit to teach you kids a morality play. And Fuller House premieres December 9th. But anyway... We're getting... I, I swear I'm going to ask. I swear to God. Oh, we'll get there. But what happened is 
I did uh, about 12 minutes of stand-up. And it wasn't, I didn't know it was stand-up. I just got up and spoke before the movie. And it uh, wasn't a movie. Before the piece of crap that I'd made. <laughs> and um, I spoke, and I got really big laughs. And so that was the first time. I had no idea, no clue I was going to go to... Uh, I, was, I was a pre-med major at Temple University in Philadelphia. And then I started to take the train up uh, to New York. Uh, to get there because I didn't know how to do anything. And uh, and I like trains. They're pleasant. Yeah, the trains are pleasant. Trains are really nice. Let's just talk about trains for it's 20 minutes. My favorite train ride. I can't believe I licked your ass. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> in so, rehearsal only. In the train. In the train. Uh, in the caboose. So uh, thank you, sir. It's at the point now the where I, I can thank people individually at this point. <laughs> but what happened was uh, I would go up to Catch a Rising Star and the improv. And the improv was then managed by Chris Albrecht, who then became oh, my agent, HBO. but then became the head of HBO, yes. but now is the head of Stars, and he's an interesting man that is good what he does. And Robert Wall, Robert Wall, who was Arliss on HBO, yes. he was my first MC. And, uh, oh, he wow. Made, and, and, and Richard Belzer was my first MC oh, wow. at Catch a Rising Star. Wow. But I was 17, I'd wait in line 12 hours, I'd sign the sign-up sheet, I did all the open mic stuff. I worked 10 years at the comedy store just trying to get a job. And, um, and your very first night at an actual comedy club, how did that go? Did you kill? Uh, I did, but it was back to, I did, it's funny that half my uh, stand-up when I go tour, I, I enjoy doing music, I really do, and I write comedy songs, and I... And I like them. Uh, and the audience seems to also because they stay. <laughs> they don't leave like they're about to. But, um, but no, you're not leaving, right? What a great crowd over here. Um, over here, they're on some kind of nitrous or something. I don't know. They're just high, I think. No, they're very nice. They're just, uh, they're, I think they're mesmerized to see you from, they, from kids in the hall. Thank you for lying. It's very sweet. No, they're responding properly. I think you're the mesmerizing section. one. I think uh, you're the there's really no question what's going on here. This, this audience is as divided as the country. But um, <laughs> right on. Or we can go right there. Can we go but, right there. Um, but anyway, uh, so I would uh, uh, struggle uh, for for a very long time. And actually, I was performing in Ottawa once because you and I talked on the phone the other day. And I'm the first comedian that my friend Norm Macdonald and your friend yes, yes. Uh, ever saw. He was 17 years old. And I was 21, 22, although I think he's older than me, so I think he's been lying. <laughs> I think he's just a compulsive liar, um, in addition to some of his other talents, one of which is he's the funniest person in the world. He is the funniest person in the world. In the world. Right. And to hang with him is to, uh, and he just fucks with me all the time, and it's... Uh, he does do that, doesn't he? He does, and I, I have a good practical joke story, which is a true story. Which yes, please! Told, well, it's okay. Oh my God, you scared me. Uh, I was, uh, please do something funny, Bob, please, anything. <laughs> Play with your balls. Make a balloon animal. I don't care. Um, I directed the movie Dirty Work. Um, Yay, Dirty Work! Cold comedy classic. And it, and, and, and it didn't do well opening weekend because MGM, I don't think, believed in it because the poster said, coming soon. <laughs> it's like, when's the bomb going to drop? And it also was the first weekend that uh, actually... Uh, Michael Jordan was playing his last game with the Bulls here. So, uh, oh, not, really? Not in this theater, because it couldn't have held the game. But, <laughs> but that was, kind of, was it made for 15-year-old boys that the movie's made for. It was, it was uh, Norm and Artie Lang and uh, the late, great Chris Farley's last movie. And uh, Chevy oh, Chase right. was in it. Uh, the late, great Chevy. Oh, he's alive. Sorry. And, um, <laughs> 
and a lot of people, Jack Ward and Chris McDonald. Did really, you say Artie Lang already? I love Artie Lang. We, we talk when we can and, and, and communicate. I love Excellent. him uh, very, very much. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Go on about the movie. So, so uh, this is a true story. We shoot the movie. We're really excited. We're all done. We wrap. I'm in New York. I got Artie and Norm in Artie's new Cadillac. Uh, we go golfing up in somewhere an hour away. We have a really weird golfing. I don't remember. There was a wager going on. I lost money. I paid Norm. It's just normal, bu- <laughs> normal business with Norm. Yeah. And um, we get in Artie's brand new, brand new caddy. It's all he wanted. He bought it with the money he made on dirty work before he could buy Coke. And, uh, <laughs> and we're driving in New York City, and I hit a pothole, and I bust his wheel, his axle, and his tire on his brand new car. I said, let me drive, Artie. I'm really good at this. <laughs> And I, I ruined it. So then we're on the side of the road. There's nobody around. I, I don't know what to do. I called a tow truck. A tow truck shows up. The guy says $800. And so I go to a ca- two cash machines because at that time you couldn't do the same cash machine. So I was able to get the money. So I come back. I'm going to give the guy cash. And then when I come back, Norm says to uh, me that this guy, uh, and, and, and not to sound profiling in any way, his name was Jose. A Jewish man, and he, um, and he said to me, uh, and Norm says, this guy really wants a picture, a signed picture for his son. His son's a big fan of yours. He wants a picture. Good impression. And, and I go, okay, here's your $800. Okay. And then I say, and, and I can, uh, if you give me an address, I can send you um, a picture, an 8 by 10 of me for your son. He goes, what are you talking about, man? I don't know who you are. <laughs> And I go, what? I said, but he said, and then I look over, and Norman Artie are on the ground, pounding the pavement. <laughs> the, the guy I paid cash, I ruined Artie's car, and the worst part of it all is the guy had no clue who I was. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that was upsetting. I wish he could be here today so we could explain to him who both of us I are. I don't know who both of you are. Yeah, right. But anyway. Uh, uh, well, this is a good segue to uh, Full House, when, yeah, uh, a beloved show. A show that won't go away. A beloved show that won't go away. And before we talk about Fuller House, um, I want to, uh, how do you, um, you're a brilliant dark comic. All the comics go, Bob Saget's really dark. Well, it is interesting that I always had a very macabre sense of humor. And to answer a question you had very briefly before, yeah. the reason that what I, kind of comedy I was doing when I was 17, 18, I was writing comedy songs, but a lot were original. Right. And I won a radio contest in Philadelphia singing a song called Bondage, which was, uh, and from a 17-year-old, Bondage, good, clean, fun. It's bondage for everyone. <laughs> Masochists and sadists unite one and all. Bondage is the rage. Come on, let's have a ball. And it, it's terrible. Uh, no response. But I won a radio contest because why would a 17-year-old be this fucked up? So, and, and I remember uh, I would host the comedy store a lot. So I saw everybody. Richard Pryor became a friend. And Robin, God bless him. And all these wonderful dead people. Kennison, I got him his first spot. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, Michael Richards, I got him his first spot at the Improv. And He's alive, right? He is, he is, and I love him. It's just been a complicated, uh, complicated thousand years. But, um, <laughs> but what was interesting was, uh, you know, going uh, on stage and seeing all these people. You found out what your voice was, and I remember seeing Jay Leno do a bit. And he didn't often do off-color or weird stuff, and he had one bit about, hey, "What is it with this incest? I mean, what is incest? I mean, come on." <laughs> It. He's doing observational about. It. I don't understand incest. What is it? Your mom's bending over to take a pot roast out of the oven, and you go, "All right, mom." You know, it's like 
He's like excited. He's seeing his mom's ass. He gets off stage, and I, I go, "That's a really funny joke." He said, of, co- "Of course, you like that one. You don't like any of my other stuff, but you like that one." And uh, so, so I really, I always went toward uh, weird because we had a lot of death in our family, and we just and a lot of dementia stuff happened to our lives. And so my dad just taught me dark comedy was a way out of it, and I haven't stopped. And it's easy for you to transition to good family comedy like Full House, uh, Mr. McDonald, Mr. Saget. Sir, I really, really hate to be so desperately rude, but we only have time for one more question. All right. Okay, I can transition between the two things, and it's really not that difficult because I'm an actor and I love acting. And Fuller House is for kids. And, and when's Fuller House coming out? Uh, December 9th, It's Fuller House. It's it's a big hit, big hit on Netflix, and I'm going to Japan to promote it, uh, where I'm going to feel very tall and Jewish. And uh, <laughs> and it's doing very very well. And there's a whole new season, and uh, there's 13 of them coming out December 9th. So you can put your seven year old in front of the TV alone in the room, and it'll parent him. You won't need to raise the kid. Quickly, what do you think about Donald Trump in, uh, in, uh, one, uh, in one sentence? I have an Orthodox Jewish son-in-law, and I love him. I love him. Bob Saget, let me do a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you Kevin McDonald. Kevin McDonald, thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much for doing it. I love this city more than I love Passover. <laughs> thank you. You're so funny. Thank you so much. We're excited coming. Thank you very much. Thank you, Bob Saget. Yay. Mr. Bob Saget! Thank you, and thank you for cutting me off. And now... It did feel bad. <laughs> help me with the mic, Bob. Like, uh, and now, we have a very special uh, musical guest. Uh, the, do you love the Fruit Bats? Yeah. Woo! Eric D. Johnson, the Fruit Bats, is going to do a song. Big hand for Eric Johnson! Eric D. Johnson! Thank you very much. Hey everyone, here's the sad part of the show. (laughs) The first time I realized I was living in this world I was probably looking at the sky Forgive me, but I don't know if I remember enough to say But the air was really like that day Babe in cloud Oh son I don't recall I was young Next time I realized I was breathing in life Was the first time that I saw your face And I wanted you, but I didn't know if I was brave enough to say How the sight of you messed up my mind I got scared right away And okay, right away Next thing I knew the stars were eyes up in the night And the ocean was breathing heavy like a beast 
have helped you But I didn't know if I was strong enough to say How the way you felt my star my mind Maven cloud Oh son I don't call I was young Maven cloud I just met Eric today and this sounds show busy, but I said it before to him, so it's not. Uh, I, he's my best friend already. We've become best friends officially, yeah. Eric, uh, thank you so much for doing this. I'm going to ask you one question. I'm uh, pretending to be a very nervous David Letterman. Uh, I always want to ask musicians this. Um, what's your favorite thing? Is it uh, playing guitar, singing, or songwriting, recording an album, or touring? That's like five things. What's your favorite? Playing piano. Playing piano is your favorite. Yeah. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank you very much. Do you have anything coming up? Yeah, I have a tour coming up next week of the East Coast. So if anybody lives on the East Coast, come out, because I'm in every city on the East Coast. And we'll be buddies from now on? We'll be BFFs. One more song, and then it'll be an end, I swear to God. One more song, thank you. Must be easy when they pay you to sing. Even easier when you're not inclined to think about the things that the other people think. Must be easy when you've learned how to be. Even easier when not haunted or tempted by dreams of how you're supposed to be. And what you're supposed to need To be who you're supposed to be Must be easier when you're there Seems a little better than here Must be easier when you pay you the pay you Say how you feel today, and they pay you to sing and tell everyone your dream. Must be easy when you hover above Even easier when you don't have to fight for your love The people just come And they pay you to sing They pay you to sing They pay you to sing 
prepare you to say seen it but tell me thank you very much good night forever this has been a forever dog production executive produced by joe cilio alex ramsey and brett boehm for more podcasts please visit foreverdogproductions.com